Hi, I'm Louisa Boa-Taylor, and this is Future Food, where food trends and new technologies converge. So hello and happy Earth Day, and welcome to my two guests today, Case Jan Hollander, the Global Director of Farm Relations at Danone, the French food company we all know for their yummy yogurt and dairy products, and Yassir Coca, the founder and CEO of Connectera, an AI-backed data and analytics company focused on the ag industry, and full disclosure, an ag funder portfolio company. So how are you both? Happy Earth Day. Well, happy Earth Day as well. Thanks for having us, in particular, Hizo. It's an honor. And privilege indeed on this uh, yeah special day, I would say, because how often can you say it's Earth Day, right? Right, exactly. And I appreciate you both. This was very last minute. I had a, a wild idea on a Monday evening, America time. So thank you so much for getting together last minute. So what did you both have for breakfast today? And has that changed at all since the COVID lockdown? To be honest, it did change indeed after COVID-19 hit us because if I counted well, this is the sixth week that I'm, uh, let's say, at home office, yeah, that we are uh, restricted to, on, on travel here in the Netherlands. Because normally my mornings are starting quite early because I have a travel to do towards uh, the office of Danone, which is in, uh, in Hofdorp. And so I start early and then I normally prepare oats. So oats prepare the night before, so night over oats in the morning which keeps me going in the morning. But yeah. now I, I, I don't have to commute. So I save that hour and I do the traditional Dutch breakfast with a sandwich and a coffee. So yeah, it did change. It did change. What about you, you say? Oh, yeah, that's a tough one for me. I actually don't take breakfast. So I pretty much just you know go straight over onto lunch. But then I have, uh, yeah, I think a relatively heavier lunch than the typical Dutch do. So I don't do the sandwich with the cheese thing. Um, it's just not <laughs> enough for me at the time. But no, it's normally just a cup of coffee, a cappuccino. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. that just kicks my day off. Boring answer, but that's No, well, there's lots of people that skip breakfast. I'm sort of firmly in the camp of breakfast is the most important meal of the day. But increasingly mm. learning that fasting is actually very good for you and maybe skipping breakfast is not a bad idea. I usually have yogurt and granola and fruit and relevant to this conversation, but we have had a few yogurt shortages <laughs> where I am here in Connecticut and also just not wanting to go to the supermarket so often. It's been running out a lot. So I've been having to replace that with milk. Not thrilled sure. about it, but you know, there's worse things. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You directly feel the impact eh, of uh, right. what's happening currently in the world. Exactly. So it's a funny day in a way for it to be Earth Day. I feel like, you know, I wouldn't blame a lot of people for not knowing that it's Earth Day. A lot of people don't even know what day of the week it is right now. But, you know, it is Earth Day. And of course, it's very important for us to continue focusing on sustainability initiatives. And both of you, the reason I got you on was you've partnered on a regenerative agriculture research project for the dairy industry called Farming for Generations. So can you give me a bit of an update on how that's going? I can do that maybe, and then uh, you elaborate on it, Yasir, as one of our partners. Maybe to start from the beginning, indeed, uh, within Danone, we, uh, we had the initiative already for, let's say, well, at least a couple of years, where we said, well, our farmers, the farmers that supply us with all the good things we need for our products, we want them to support all, let's say, in the beginning, we spoke a lot about sustainability. 
how can farmers improve sustainable practices? When we do so, and specifically my job as well, is going to a farm and explain the things he can do that make sense on his particular farm there in his region, in this part of the world. And when we did so, we said, okay, there's so many good things out there. So in the last, I spent now five years within Danone. Most of my time I spend on explaining to farmers practices from others. But uh, the farmers ask me a question, so how, how can I do so? And I'm explaining, well, I know a farmer here and there who does it like this and he has good benefits. So the fact that farmers can learn from farmers is quite strong, right? And then on the practices of sustainability. And then we had a discussion inside our team where we said, well, we, for a certain point, we need to make it bigger. Because we as Danone, we, we like to take the products of the farmer to put in our product, right? And milk is a key one for us. But if you look at there are more stakeholders there and can't we not cooperate with those stakeholders on the farm as well? You've got the farmer suppliers. You've got the veterinarians. You have the, the people who work on, on the field, right? So the seed supply. And uh, throughout that chain, so we came to a search for partners who had the same vision, the same strategy on sustainability. And nowadays, we like to call the, the term regenerative agriculture, right? To change what is broken, eh? to heal what's broken, and to keep what is good. And uh, yeah, we found partners outside of Danone, seven global partners who had that same vision. And that's where we started off officially uh, March of last year in 2019. We signed and we, we started and we had a kickoff. We had several workshops and uh, the partners bring in their expertise, their case studies, things they can support the farmer's portfolio. And currently we are in the progress of going to countries back again by sharing. Okay, so we have found where we can support farmers. And now we go there with the designated partners or a group of partners. That's a bit the technical story and background of how it started and where we are today. Why does Danone want to be more sustainable? Well, we rely heavily on the farmers that produce our products. I mean, in a shortcut, I can say if, if, if farmers run out of business because, yeah, uh, there's no more water to feed the cows, feed is not growing, climate is changing, we cannot source any milk anymore yeah basically we've run out of business so yes from a business perspective that is one and second it's in danon's dna that we said our responsibility to the community does not stop at the factory gate we have a clear responsibility to towards our suppliers and that's already for many years that we we are working with our farmer suppliers to make them more resilient make them more sustainable, make sure that they will have the, the opportunity to run a business. But both business as well as social responsibility. Why do you think more corporates in your industry aren't pursuing similar initiatives? I wouldn't say they aren't because if you look across the board, I mean, there's many, many great initiatives from many other cooperatives. You certainly seem to be a leader in this. We like to call ourselves a leader leader, so well, that's, I, think, I take the compliment. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's, it's also the, the very strong belief of our CEO, Emmanuel Faber. He really activates all of the company and basically in his own words, he says, we need to be an activist. We need to be an activist in this regenerative agriculture because as you see, our vision of Danone is one planet, one health. 
the link between what we eat as people, what we have for breakfast, eh, the choices you make there is the decision that you make in what planet, what earth we want to live on. So he's really promoting that very heavily in, inside our organization. Fantastic. Well, let's dig a bit more into Farming for Generations and, and how it works and how Connectera is involved there. So you're collecting the data that these farmers from the practices that many of them are already using and you're using that to help communicate that to others? Just a little segue from what CJ was just saying about one planet, one earth. And, you know, our company is called Connectera, which is connected earth. So it's an interesting thing going on there. <laughs> yeah, no, I just thought about that. Look, so our role within the F4G consortium, so as Christian mentioned, it's a consortium of seven global entities, and we are one of the, the smaller startups in there. And when you're trying to tackle a problem as complicated as regenerative agriculture, one of the things is to look at the interactions of different aspects of farming. You're really trying to create kind of a data model of a farm. So you're looking at the interaction of animals with soil, feed, practices, access to water, different types of genomics. How is it impacting the behavior of not only the animals, but also of the land in general. And overall, you're then trying to figure out ways to improve certain KPIs. So if you want to improve the greenhouse gas emissions per, let's say, hectare of land or per kilo of milk, this is all a perfect problem for you to apply advanced analytics and machine learning on. Right, because you're talking of huge volumes of data, even from small farms and for a company like Dannon, which is one of the largest milk processors in the world, of what, 56,000 suppliers globally. And you're talking of huge volumes of data, number one. So that's kind of where we come in. Our expertise is really around the dairy sector applying advanced analytics and machine learning. The second part of where we're looking at is essentially being the glue between the different entities and providing the platform for farming for generations so that we can have effective sharing of data, insights, analytics, as well as the best practices and identifying what they are. It's a complex problem. It's not an easy problem to solve. And that's also why this is not something which the consortium believes is fashionable and, you know, we'll do it this quarter and we'll forget about it next quarter. This is a three-year commitment from every partner coming into Farming for Generations. And we're humbled and very excited at the same time. So it's three years and then at the end you want to have a set of guidelines, potentially, that you can send to all your suppliers. Would they be mandated to adopt some of these practices or how will you utilize those guidelines to get more farmers following those practices? Exactly. We will not mandate that that's how we work, right? We have a direct supply chain of milk for our farmers. The way we work, we have worked always and we continue to work is that farmers need to do what they do best. They know how to farm. We're not going to sit on their chair but we would like to work with, with them in a way of a partnership that we can show to them, say, okay, well, this is how it could work, right? And uh, we are already starting to, on a small scale, with a selective group of our suppliers to already disseminate the knowledge that all of these partners in the consortium have already brought together, 
because you can imagine with, with these global partners, the, the amount of knowledge already is, is enormous. What is key and the question that I get a lot when I'm on a farm is that the farmer says, yeah, of course I want to work on, on this reg egg, but please tell me, where do I start? Right? That's the basic question that many of the farmers have. Sure, I want to work on soil, but here in my region, in this part of the world, tell me what is best. So we're really working on, on let's say, sort of guidelines as well that, that always that a farmer has some sort of a, yeah, guidance based on his region, farming model, some of the basic KPIs that he has on his farm, that he can start with the low-hanging fruit. I know it's a very popular saying, but easiest things first that have the best impact on all those strategic KPIs on his farm. And then he can work with that. And then we would like to continuously evolve that throughout the partners, right? So that, that they have access to this kind of guidance towards their improvement. And so it would be guidance initially. Would you ever provide them with technology that can help with this, potentially give them subscriptions to Connectera or you know, other technologies that could be helpful in how they measure the impact of these practices, how they actually implement them on the farm? Absolutely. In case hey, Yasser is here, I mean, we have an agreement with them in this partnership, right, that uh, if it makes sense to a farmer to work on the collecting of this data, but also the services and the products that Connectera provides, yes, we, we say, okay, we have a global agreement with Connectera. So yes, Mr. Farmer, uh, Mrs. Farmer, please use this technology. But in the end, it's their decision. It's the farmer's decision. We bring them and we show the ROI and then the best practice. We can bring them to other farmers that have success, right? Go ahead, talk to them. But it's you, make the call. Mm-hmm. You know, the elephant in the room at the moment is obviously COVID-19 and its impact on the dairy industry. I'm not sure if it's, you know, been the same in Europe, but we've had so many headlines over here about all this milk being dumped into fields and it's pretty devastating to see what's happening there. So what does that mean for the industry overall? I mean, I have several questions here, but just linking on from what you were just saying, in terms of affordability for farmers to take on some of these practices or to afford technologies that can help them, where do you see that shaking out and thinking about their priorities? No, first, let me say indeed that it's, it's, yeah, it's horrible to see that this is happening. First of all, I mean, for, for everybody, for the farmers who do the hard work, and then just open the, the bulk tank and let it let it flow. That's horrible. And but also the the, the yeah further in the supply chain. I mean they all have commitments to these farmers, to their consumers, right? To deliver and they can't for multiple reasons. So those are horror decisions. I mean, so far, we are lucky in a sense. We we had not had that kind of event until today. I think part by the reason, as I said earlier, we have a direct supply of milk. So we know the farm, so-called almost like a partnership with the farmer supplier, right? And it goes as strong that in, in large regions like Europe and the United States, we have a very strong relationship with these farmers is that we have a long-term contract with them. And a long-term contract does not mean only that, well, well we're going to take your milk for this period of time. But inside that contract, we've made an agreement with the farmer to pay for his milk according to his cost of production. And obviously, inside, there's also the, the margin. So the farmer is guaranteed on a couple of things. The farmer is guaranteed that we take his milk inside the period of that contract. 
he's guaranteed that we pay for his cost of production. So it means he can pay the bill in the end of the month. And he's guaranteed for a margin. That's the guarantee we give to already a majority of uh, the milk resource in the US and Europe. Is that a unique model? It's quite unique in the, in, in the dairy world. Yeah. Yeah, there are only a few others who also have this kind of similar uh, similar system. If you can imagine inside this, also with these companies like Conoxera, right? That's why we we also partner with them uh, upstream. They bring benefits to the farmer, and if it brings benefit in a way of reducing costs or or improving performance, longevity of the cow, with the services of Ida and the services of Conoxera, if you see the cows are sick earlier, that will save you human antibiotics. So the impact of, of these kind of things goes even beyond that we secure the supply of the farmer and uh, the supply of our milk. Yeah, yeah. So can you talk a bit yeah, about some of those cost savings or some of those efficiencies that your technology is bringing? I'll take a step back and perhaps take a shot at the, the first question that you asked about, you know, what are we seeing with COVID right now and you know, what's the stitch with the dairy industry? Uh, I think we're, we're seeing sort of three key trends that are emerging. And I think the answer to that has to be in context of where the market is and what is the the crisis that we're in right now. And we're obviously seeing that there have been a lot of challenges around labor. Labor was always a problem. It has been a problem in agriculture. And what the corona crisis right now is doing is just amplifying that and taking it to a whole different level because you're having restrictions of labor traveling between borders, especially in Europe, for instance, where technically you have open borders, but right now you can't have workers come from East Europe into West Europe or vice versa. And you need workers on farm, especially as you're entering the harvest season for robberies, for instance, right now. Same thing applies to labor in the U.S., where a lot of the labor on farms is immigrant. Unfortunately, quite a few of them don't have the same type of health insurance policies that you would have with your typical workers, and that puts a lot of strain onto dairy farmers. We're seeing problems in logistics, and generally, so I've been talking about this for years now, saying, look, the agriculture industry is disconnected, and we need to connect the industry with its suppliers, with its partners. It's an imperative that we need to do. And now we're seeing with the corona crisis that you can have vets visit farms regularly, advisors can go to farms, you're restricting visits, and if you have an outbreak on a farm, you're going to lose labor. And partners like Dan, for instance, are trying to figure out across their thousands of suppliers, what is the case of production? Are you able to produce? Do you need to reduce production? What type of advice do I give you? What's the data that I can use to make effective decisions if I'm a farmer? And these are some of the things that we're seeing just completely amped up in the crisis. And because of the logistics problem and the decline in supply from the commercial sector, you're hearing about farmers dumping milk. That is happening outside of Danon with other suppliers that are having challenges taking milk off. And now we're saying, okay, How can tech play a role here? How can we help using data to make effective decisions? What decisions do I take that are short-term but don't cripple me in the long run if I need to produce production or if I need to reduce my cost bases? These are optimization questions, 
And we're working very hard right now to help answer some of these questions for our customers. And we believe that coming out of the crisis, this is the type of support that tech needs to play in agriculture. It's, it's in the crisis mode that you're really going to test out those technologies that promised a lot but didn't deliver and those that delivered in the crisis. Right. And what do you think about the you know, potential for long-lasting impacts of the crisis? So, you know, there's a lot of talk around how this could accelerate changes in consumer behaviors and consumer demands. Maybe people will go to restaurants less, I don't know, or people will rush to restaurants because they're sick of cooking at home. But with food service, such a big portion of demand for dairy, what could be some of those long-lasting impacts and how could they affect both of your businesses? Yeah, maybe I'll start and then CJ, I'd love to get your point of view on this. From my point of view, and it's kind of self-serving in a way, but it is, it's a logical conclusion to say, look, if we don't solve the problems around labor, logistics, collaboration with the corona crisis, we're already hearing conversations around food safety globally, where governments are concerned about food safety. And I think post-crisis, we believe that governments are going to very seriously look at their internal food safety metrics and measures, as will different large organizations. And tech has a role to play in both automation of the sector, as well as empowering the labor that is still staying in the industry. You have to be able to scale agriculture and make it more resilient so we don't end up in a food crisis after the corona crisis. That's just going to be absolute mayhem if we end up in that situation. I think from a consumer behavior standpoint, we've been looking at some data coming in where uh, the last one that I saw was absolutely amazing. In fact, it was Andrew Chen from Andreessen Horowitz posted this recently. You had a 279% increase in online milk and dairy products being sold. And essentially, the consumer behavior is now going back to basics. And we're saying, well, I need milk, I need bread, I need my dairy. You're seeing return of the breakfast, frankly, as families are at home and you're actually having breakfast, but you're not on the go all the time. And I think this will actually bring back a sense of consciousness about the staple foods that matter. And hopefully it's here to stay. And I think that's going to be a really interesting trend to watch. Fully agree. And if I see it from our perspective as a, yeah, as a global food company, Obviously, we yeah we are impacted. If we look at just this week, the the first quarter results were uh, were presented as a company. Yeah, sales were up with uh, close to four percent, over six billion in the first quarter, which uh, like for like is a is a huge increase. But that will be different in Q two. That uh, obviously with all the lockdown uh, everywhere, because uh, I mean. Next to toilet paper, people were buying uh, a lot more other things as well. Eh? And amongst that was the dairy products. But no, I think already what we see is that this will impact and will also accelerate the need for local production. We, we already saw a high demand from consumers saying, okay, I would love down yogurt, but I want it to be produced locally. From our side, we see as well things are changing and we do have the uh, feeling and the first signs are there that things are changing. We do see that uh, the sales in Q1 was up tremendously with close to 4% in, uh, in our sales. Where we reached over $6 billion in the first quarter. 
Obviously, it will be impacted in the quarters to come, right? Because people were at home. They were uh, not only collecting toilet paper, so also uh, some food in, uh, in stock, additionally. That's on the short term. But already for a longer period of time, we do see already that the things of the consumer, how they buy the products and what they look at was changing. They were looking now more at local produced products, really local meaning from their home country. Right? We have in some cases, like in Europe, we've got specialized factories. But at a certain point, there were consumers, groups of consumers who said, no, I would love to have done on products, but from my own country. Right? So already this local production, that's really uh, already impacting. So that's something that I like to keep in mind. And yeah, for us, that's why I say we have a direct supply of milk. We source milk around our factories. Right? And roughly, that's a, a range of, uh, we always say, 300 kilometers. So yes, if the factory is in the country, you can be sure that the milk is coming from that country, right? So that, yeah. is, uh, that is already already there. And for me personally, I see already the change here at home because now uh, with the, the, the lockdown, uh, yeah, I live in a small area. There was not yet established real delivery service from the grocery stores. But now all of a sudden, this is popping up. And to be honest, early this week, I had somebody who was uh, starting to sell vegetables knocking on my door saying, hey, would you like to buy some vegetables from me because I've got an oversupply? Sure. Are you think of turning this into a business? He's like, yeah, I think I do because there is people that are, are asking me for it. So I think this local, again, sourcing eh, in terms of that, but also from, from consumer perspective, buying stuff locally again is increasingly uh, demanding in the future. It's really interesting. I've heard lots of people talk about this focus on decentralizing the food system. And obviously it's been something that many have been lobbying for, for years and it's been unsure which direction it was going. You had kind of pockets of there that was proliferating and people were purchasing food online from local farms. But on the flip side, you know, industrial ag was getting bigger and, and more and more centralized. So there's this sense of COVID accelerating trends that were already there. In terms of sustainability, local food systems seem to make more sense, right? I think from a consumer perspective, yes, uh, yes, it does. Because in the end, they make the decision. Yeah? That's what I said earlier. I mean, as a consumer, with the food you buy, you can make a choice, let's say, on what, what world, what earth you want to live in to make it bigger. But I think in the end as well, it might sound nice buying locally, but how can I guarantee that I still have the same quality, that the food is safe, produced, but it's also traceable in a way how it is produced. Because if I buy, for example, uh, a product where it's stated that it's produced by cows living on pasture, eating grass, well, if that's not true, that's going to take not long and then you run out of, completely out of business and then you've lost your consumer on that whole scale. So I think that's also where technology can bring a lot, right? Yasir, you've got a great example for that as well, right? Where we already are uh, talking about. Yeah, so on that one, so obviously we're, we've got an interesting sort of proposition on that that we're working in with Dan and with their processors, which is really looking at, again, can we use data to provide this evidence? I think there have been certain cases in the U.S., for instance, where um, not being able to provide evidence of consumer claims of where food is coming from, how it's grown, has actually led to some pretty serious complications for food processors. And I think it really goes to show how serious consumers are about this. And again, I think this is where 
data doesn't lie. It really brings you the evidence that you need without going into specifics on the roadmap of what we're planning and doing right now. We're looking at new types of data sources, let's say broadly vision-based, where we can provide evidence to consumers and really support the compliance and building standards for the industry. And to be able to do this at scale, and I think that's the other big thing, is that you don't want to be doing this for one farm or two farms. You really want to be able to do this at scale to provide that transparency to the end consumer. Yeah, definitely. So bringing this back to it being Earth Day, it sounds like COVID is, yeah, as we mentioned, accelerating certain trends which could have beneficial impacts on the sustainability of the industry overall. It sounds like, you know, you're very much dedicated to your Farming for Generations initiative and you're locked in for three years with that, with Janone. And of course, you are a B Corp. So it sounds like this is very much close to your mission and very mission aligned. But what about food and agriculture companies that have been trying out some sustainability initiatives, looking at regenerative agriculture for, you know, a portion of their fields, There's obviously a certain cost that goes into this and you're moving away from the way that your supply chains have worked in the past to experiment with some of these things. Some people I've been speaking to are saying that companies might push some of these things to the side because they've now got bigger problems to worry about. Of course, you know, there are not many bigger problems than climate change and environmental problems, but that's kind of the perception. What do you think of that? Are you guys concerned that sustainability could be sidelined in the wake of COVID? Or do you think that there's an opportunity for it to become even more important? If sustainability wouldn't have brought benefits to the industry, it wouldn't have flown in the first place. I think if you look at farmers or dairy farmers in in particular, you don't tend to see farmers doing things for the sake of it. I think sustainability in its you know, fundamental definition is also financial sustainability and returns for the farmer. We want to be able to change the way that we farm that's good for the planet, for the animals and for the consumer, but you can't forget the farmer in this equation. So I think if you approach it from the point of view that it's actually good for all participants, which I firmly believe it is, it doesn't change anything in the COVID scenario. And we should be thinking long-term because the corona crisis, whilst a, a, it's a really, it's a big one, nobody saw this one coming, but it will be over one day, whether that is six months from now or 12 months from now, the world will recover. But if we don't pay attention to what we know for a fact is coming in 15, 20 years where you have climate change, you know that there's an impact on the food crisis, You can't just say it's going off the agenda. We were having this conversation with Dan and uh, let CJ sort of talk about it. And across the board with the other customers that we're working with, we're saying actually almost a re-entrenchment and saying, no, we're keeping this on the agenda. We're going to continue to work on this. If nothing else, this crisis is just showing us all the things that we need to do faster. Regenerative agriculture is something for the long term. I mean, I've been in the dairy industry my whole life from, from family off. And uh, you see changes in the egg itself are always changes in the long term, right? And this is something, as, as Yasser said, the impact, of course, is, 
yes, tremendous. Uh, I mean, nobody saw it coming and it impacts on all sides in terms of business everywhere. But in the end, it's about the bigger topic. If you look inside regenerative agriculture, which is really important, is, is taking care of your soil, for example, but also taking care of your animals, making sure that the people who work with the soil and the animals are to make a living, right? Because then it brings also resilience, but then it also brings, well, at a certain point, also prosperity in the regions. Because what we've learned from the past is that in the end of the day, it's always the farmer who leaves a village the last, right? If everybody has left, schools are closed, even the church has closed, then the farmer is still there. He's the last one to leave a village or an area. So he will always be there. And I think that strong belief, if you can work with people who have that close to nature ability to work with nature, I think then we're all on the good way to both provide healthy food to all the people who need it in the future, now and in the future, but that you also can nurture the people who do so, who produce that food, right? So not only the quantity, but also the quality and the people who work with that. That is something for the longer term. We've had the talks also inside the partnership and all the, uh, the partners in, in Farming for Generations. And we've asked them the same question, does anything change, right? And everybody was like, no, this is for the long term. Well, for multiple reasons, we, we took the project for three years, right? We cannot sign for uh, eternity. Yeah, so uh, that was, was very clear. But all of them, one by one, said, no, we'll continue. We need to work on those KPIs. We need to work on to support farmers to improve their practices. That's fantastic news. Well, thank you both so much for speaking to me again on short notice for today, which is Earth Day. And thank you for bearing with us on the, the technical issues for those of you who are watching. It's been really great to speak to you and I look forward to catching up on how Farming for Generations goes for the next two years. You've been listening to Future Food with me, Louisa Boa-Taylor. For news and insights on the food tech and ag tech industries, go to agfundernews.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review.